Hey, thanks for tuning in to the latest sermon. We pray that it challenges you, blesses you, and ultimately that it would stir your heart's affection for Jesus. Enjoy. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning as we come into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for this space and this place and these people to call our church family. And I pray in this place today, Lord, that our hearts would hear, that our minds would receive, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us uh, the things that we are meant to receive today. I pray that we wouldn't see this space as just another place to come to, uh, an obligatory place to come, but that we would find this place transformative because of your presence and because of your word that is being uh, studied and absorbed and because of the songs that are being sung that move our hearts to worship you. And so we ask Jesus that in this place, uh, your will would be done and that we would grow in knowledge and understanding and in maturity of heart to be more like you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. So as we come into our first parable in the parables series, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine with me that you are an average villager in a first century village in the region of Galilee, whatever that looks like to you. I'm sure we all have a different picture that comes to mind. But imagine that you're, you're a villager and uh, you're going out to hear Jesus speak again. And the last time that you heard Jesus speak, he spoke with authority, he spoke clearly, he spoke directly, he said things that were so clear. He said things like, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's even angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And you loved it. It was a clear, direct message filled with authority. It was difficult to hear because you got angry sometimes, but but you needed to hear it and you loved his teaching. And so you are so excited because Jesus is coming and he's going to be teaching. And so you join this big crowd and the crowd is now so big because Jesus' teaching is so popular that Jesus has to get into a boat. And Jesus goes out into the water and he speaks to the crowd that is assembled and you're so ready. You're like, oh, lay it on me, Jesus. Give me some good teaching. Give me some authority. Give me what you want me to hear. And Jesus begins like this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. What? Right? Like, you're like, what does any of that mean? What is the seed? Who is the farmer? Why is the farmer so careless with his seed? Why is so much of it going on bad soil? Didn't he prepare the land? So like even knowing the context of like how farmers do things does not give you insight into this parable. You're just like, what is he talking about? Seeds and soil and farmers, birds, what does any of this have to do with anything? That's what you'd be thinking. Jesus' imagery here and his exclusive use of parables is so unexpected that immediately after he finishes this session of teaching, because after this, then he goes into another parable about wheat and weeds in a field together. And again, people are like, I, what? why is he talking about farming now? I, didn't he used to teach in a different way? And so 
what we talked about last week, and, and the disciples get into this too. They're like, after he finishes teaching, after he does all these parables, the disciples come and ask him, why are you speaking only in parables? Because they don't get it either. They're like, so what happened to this very clear and direct teaching? What are you doing? And we talked about this last week, why Jesus switches to teaching primarily in parables. So I'm not going to go through that. You can go listen to last week's sermon. It's titled, Why Parables? So it's pretty easy to find. So you can go and listen to that. But what I want to reiterate today is that Jesus' use of parables had a dividing effect on his listeners. The power of Jesus' stories penetrates the hearts of some people while hardening the hearts of others. And as we saw last week, a lot of the religious leaders and the Pharisees are the ones who continue to harden their hearts, who will not hear, who will not reflect upon these parables. Hearing it, they won't understand it, and seeing it, they won't believe it. But for those who were hungry for the words of life, for those who believed that Jesus was, was somehow the one who had everything that they needed, the parables invite those who want to understand into understanding. They, they may not be, you may not understand them at first, but they invite you to understand more. Tim Mackey explains the use of parables like this. It seems like Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you this parable, and you are going to be so confused, not just by this parable right now, but by everything that's going to happen, right? His death and resurrection, all of it. And what I want you to do, Jesus is saying, is come back to this parable, reflect on what has happened, and then unpack this parable. Realize that you're now entrusted with these teachings, with my power, with my example. Now go and use that. And I think that's exactly what's happening. He's drawing people in, those who really believe him, those who really believe he's the abundant life, the eternal life, he has the words of life. They're just going to wrestle with those parables. And those who just want to ask bad faith questions, as we saw last week, are just going to shut him out. So Jesus doesn't always explain his parables. But in this case, for his disciples, he does. And this is such an interesting distinction. He does it for his disciples, but not for the massive crowd. But the disciples do ask for an explanation. So again, if you feel badly because you don't understand parables, neither did the disciples. They have to ask Jesus, what does that mean? Right? So it's okay if you find them a little bit confusing. The disciples did too. So Jesus explains the parable like this. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown on the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it, and produces a crop yielding a hundred or sixty or 30 times what was sown. So to first understand this parable, we need to know what, what is the seed, right? Because that's my, if I'm the first century, I'm like, he's not, I'm going to get it eventually through the parable. I'm like, he's not, the seed means something else. It's not actually a literal seed. What does the seed mean? And the seed, Jesus tells us in Matthew's description of this, that the seed is the message of the kingdom. And Luke and Mark, they say the message of the kingdom is the word of God. And so we're going to do another whole sermon on the kingdom of God used in one of Jesus' parables. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the message of the kingdom being the word of God. And we, again, it's a parable, so we could go on a whole bunch of different things. But 
The first way to understand this is that the seed refers to the Word of God. So the Word of God can be Scripture, God's Word written down. That's kind of a classic interpretation, and I'd say that's, that's correct. That makes sense. But because this is a parable, we're allowed to wonder if there's another meaning. If the seed is the Word of God, and we know that Scripture is God's Word written, but we also know that the Word of God can refer to someone else. Because Jesus is the Word of God incarnate, the Word made flesh, right? John 1 tells us this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So taking this into consideration, I believe we can acknowledge that the seed sown can also be understood to be the Word of God himself, Jesus. In fact, I'd say we'd understand, the best way to understand this parable is to understand that the seed that is sown is both the Word of God written and the Word of God incarnate. And maybe I can put it like this. Even when we sow the Word of God written, it always points us to the Word of God incarnate, who is Jesus. And the seed that is sown is accurately said to be both the Word of God written and the Word of God incarnate. And they point us to Jesus. And so the seed, the word of God, the message of the kingdom, is sown everywhere by this farmer. Now what we realize right away is that the seed is always good. If the seed hits into the right soil, it's going to germinate, it's going to sprout, it's going to bear fruit. So the seed is going out everywhere and the seed is good. But what determines if the seed will grow and bear fruit? Well, it's the soil. So the seed is always good, but if the soil is not good, there's going to be no harvest or a, a lackluster harvest. And this leads to Jesus' explanation of the soil. And the soil represents the person's heart or the person's receptivity to the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And there are, Jesus says, four types of soil to be found. And the first soil is found on the hard path. And maybe we could call this soil the hard heart. So Jesus told the crowd this. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. And, and again, to properly understand a parable, oftentimes it's good to try and visualize this. So when I visualized this seed lying on the hard path, uh, I used to have a back alley when I was growing up. There was a gravel back alley, and uh, they very rarely put down fresh gravel. So it was really packed down and hard. It was almost like concrete. You couldn't dig into it. If you tried to dig a hole, you'd have to take a pickaxe to it. It's so hard. So I imagine seed falling on hard packed ground like that. It's not going to penetrate the soil. It's going to sit right on top. And Jesus explains to his disciples that those along the hard path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. So the hard heart is like this hard path. It gets trampled on constantly, and the seed cannot penetrate into it. It just stays right on the surface. It doesn't ever get in there to germinate. And then the birds of the air come, and they quickly eat it up as quick as they can. So those who originally heard this would be familiar with this, right? When someone was sowing seed, oftentimes birds would follow a sower because it's a pretty free meal, right? Seeds are being scattered everywhere. And of course, if a seed did land on a hard path of ground, it'd be easy for the bird to eat. But it's deeper than just birds eating seed, right? Jesus explains that there is a spiritual battle happening. Jesus is making it clear that when the word of God is spread, Satan is somehow waiting to snatch it away. Because if it stays there long enough, it just might sink in. Even the hardest of ground, if it hits the right rain, if, if the right type of weather comes along, it softens and then things start to grow and sprout. We actually have a weed growing right through the asphalt in our uh, parking lot uh, over in the corner. So I know that it's possible for even in the hardest, most unlikely of ground that the word that something can grow. But what Jesus is saying, he's opening our eyes. He's saying this, there's a spiritual battle for people's hearts. 
He doesn't explain much more than that, but he says, hey, the, the reality is, is that when the, the seed falls, uh, Satan is quick to try and, and grab it up. So Satan plays an active part in keeping people from accepting the word. And Jesus doesn't tell us exactly how Satan does this here, but he tells us it's a reality. And of course, it reminds us of what the apostle Paul said, who said, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But the hard heart is actually a really easy place for Satan to snatch away the word of God because the person has actually done the majority of the work by hardening their own heart. And so the question then becomes, how does a person's heart become that hard? There's a couple of ways. One way is through deliberate skepticism and unbelief. They don't want there to be a God. They don't want to submit to a savior. So they refuse to believe no matter what. There's a well-known atheist named Thomas Nagel. And I think he sums up the hard-hearted person's attitude toward God the best. He says, he wrote this down. He said, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally I hope that I'm right in my belief because everyone likes to be right. He said this, it's actually that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. And if you know anything about confirmation bias, where whatever you believe, you believe, kind of in, in spite of all sorts of evidence, someone who's in that position who says, I just don't want it to be that way, even in, in the face of mountains of evidence, will often keep their heart hard because they just don't want it to be true. They don't want it to be that way. So they've hardened their own heart through kind of deliberate unbelief and skepticism. Another way that we can harden our hearts is, is through sin that we allow to stay in our lives. Hebrews chapter three says, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Anyone who's been caught in any kind of pattern of sin will know that when your heart gets harder towards spiritual things due to sin, your understanding gets darker about spiritual things. The more you allow sin to reign and rule in your life, the dimmer your understanding of spiritual truth. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Ephesians, saying, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. I just want to pause for a second here before we move on to the next soils. Because I think there's a temptation to make this parable into a simple parable about who is saved and who is not saved. But that's actually not the point of this parable. The primary message of this parable is a warning from Jesus to have hearts that hear, receive, and nurture the word of God so that we would bear spiritual fruit. In fact, the next two soils are actually people, Jesus says, they hear the word, they receive the word with joy. They're joyful to have it. They love the message of Jesus. They love the message of the kingdom, but they don't nurture the seed and they fail to bear fruit. Klein Snodgrass puts it like this. The next two soils that fail still describe people who respond positively to the message. They even hear the message with joy, but their hearing is still superficial. Receiving the kingdom with joy is not enough. A message the modern church desperately needs to hear. Faith that is temporary and unproductive is not true faith. This parable asserts that people can receive the word with joy and still have a hardness of heart underneath. Any hearing that doesn't result in productive living in relation to the Father is not a valid hearing. Craig Keener has put it like this, the only conversions that count in the kingdom are those that are confirmed by a life of discipleship. And so any one of us could have a shallow soil or a thorny soil. 
As we go through our lives, there's things that can block the word of God from growing deeply within us, which then prevents us from bearing fruit. And so just to, uh, my ask of you is as we look at the next two types of soils, that you would maybe ask yourselves, what type of soil is my heart? Because as simple as this parable is, this is why this parable is so effective when Jesus explains it. Because it constantly draws us back to asking ourselves, what type of soil is my heart? So next we look at the shallow soil, the soil that is on the rock. So Jesus, again, he said, some seed fell on the rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. So these are the people with shallow hearts. There's a hardness just under the surface. And Jesus explains to his disciples, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, that they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The shallow heart is different than the hard-hearted. Because where the hard-hearted person won't even receive the word of God, the shallow heart receives the word even with joy, but only to a point. That means they love some of what Jesus says and does. They love the miracles, the blessing, the forgiveness. But these hearts fail when Jesus calls them deeper. When he says things like, give all you have and follow me. When he says, die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow me daily. When Jesus convicts of sin or idols in our lives, the shallow hearts resist. They say, whoa, 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 Jesus, I loved it when you said all that stuff about forgiveness. Jesus, man, I loved it when you did that miraculous thing. But I, I'm not willing to go there with you. Russell Moore actually talks a little bit about how sometimes I think we have a narrow view of what the shallow heart is. But Russell Moore uh, said there's been this phenomenon happening lately where multiple pastors are coming to him and saying, you know, what's really weird is sometimes in a sermon, I'll quote the words of Jesus without giving the passage, you know, something from the Sermon on the Mount, you know, something like, uh, if you're even angry with someone, that's considered, that, that brings judgment upon you. Or when someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Or he might say something about how difficult wealth, you can't serve both God and money. And he's like, and then I'll have people in my church come to me and say, why are you using liberal political talking points? And he'll say, I'm just using the words of Jesus. And then they'll say, those words aren't good for today. They make you weak. And so there is this bent. We have this narrow view of what the shallow soil is, but really it expands to this. Whatever Jesus says is to be obeyed. Jesus says, I'll know that you love me if you obey me. So there's not this option of like, I like what Jesus says here, but I don't really like what he says there. I like what Jesus says about this, but I really don't want to do that. And that's the shallow soil. The shallow heart doesn't allow God to speak to them about the things they need to be convicted of. Maybe they're being convicted about a relationship that needs to be mended with forgiveness. Maybe it's a step of obedience that needs to be followed through on. But whatever it is, the shallow hearts resist God's teaching. That's when that resistance kicks into gear. That's the rock underneath the little bit of soil. The third type of soil is a really dangerous one, I think, for a lot of us. I wrestle with this type of soil in my life all the time. So when I read this simple parable and I go, what type of soil am I? This is the one that I think stands out the most for me. So see if you identify with it as well. This is the seed that Jesus said fell among the, fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And he explained to his disciples that the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. 
So this person's heart is, is being described as sort of like a garden that's been overtaken by weeds. It's a distracted and cluttered heart. And Jesus mentions a few of those weeds that especially seem to choke out the word. He mentions the worries of life, but he links it to the deceitfulness of wealth. And so Jesus is speaking about those who are diligently accumulating treasure in this life with no thought to the eternal life to come. He's speaking to the mind and the heart that is distracted from the things of God by the temporary pleasures that this world has to offer us. The deceitfulness of wealth and the pursuit of pleasure which seems to plague so many churches and Christians in our culture. It's easy to let our faith get choked out by the concerns of this life or by the desires we have in this life. And this actually leaves us with a faith that doesn't produce much. It doesn't really have much fruit to bear. There's faith in there somewhere, but it's hidden in the weeds and it's not producing because the weeds are choking it out. This heart among the thorns of wealth and pleasure is not fully committed to seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This heart is trying to serve two masters, self and God, but you can't serve two masters. You can only have one. And the person in the thorns will say Jesus is Lord, but they won't live like it. They won't produce fruit. And the last type of soil is the good soil. Jesus said, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown in one place. And Jesus explains to his disciples, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And I'm going to talk too much today about the good soil because the good soil is that heart that's been prepared to hear, receive, and obey the word of God. It doesn't have the rock of resistance. It's not crowded out by the thorns and weeds of this life. In the good soil, the word of God produces a faith that matures and bears a great harvest. And isn't this the ultimate goal of being a disciple of Christ? To bear spiritual fruit that comes from a life rooted in the life of Jesus? And so I just want to give again that word of caution that sometimes we look at this parable and we immediately assume that if we are Christians, then we are the good soil. And those other three soils have nothing to do with us. We sort of see this parable as describing the dividing line between those who are saved and those who are unsaved. But I think it would be wrong to read this parable as a story about who is in and who is out. If we read it only as a story of salvation, then I think what we do is we have this tendency to smugly, smugly assume that we the good church-going folks that we are, we are the good soil, and all those others are the poor soil. But this parable is not as much about salvation as it is about hearing the word, receiving the word, and allowing the word to grow and produce fruit in you. And there's only that one soil which attains the goal. But the goal of this parable is not the goal of being saved, but of reaching full maturity and bearing fruit. You could argue that the rocky soil person and the thorny soil person is a true believer in Jesus, and you'd probably be correct. But Jesus would have us understand that they haven't reached the goal for which they were saved. And this is maybe something that needs to, to confront sometimes the evangelical mindset that we are, you know, sometimes I think we have this idea that the goal of the gospel message is to be saved, to have eternal life. Like, that's it. That's the whole goal. Once you've done your prayer, once you've done your thing, you're in. Now you just do whatever you want because you believe the right things. But that's actually not what Scripture teaches. Salvation is a part of it. But then there's the life of discipleship. Then there is the doing what Jesus has called you to do, which you created anew in Christ Jesus to do the works that God had created you anew to do. So we are saved not to escape death and to live forever in heaven only, 
but also to attain to the fullness of the stature of Christ, as Paul puts it. This means to become more like Jesus and to bear spiritual fruit. So we don't want to simply say, I accepted Jesus and I'm safe from hell. That's like base level. That's like, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the entry point. But we do want to be able to say this, I am maturing in my faith. I am becoming more like Christ. I am bearing spiritual fruit. I know the abundant life in Jesus. And so I find parables really convicting because this isn't just like, oh, I'm good soil because I come to church. This is a, what type of soil do I currently have in my heart? It might be helpful to consider what type of heart you have. Don't automatically assume that you're in the good soil because you're attending church and agree with the Christian faith. Again, to use Klein Snodgrass, which I just, what a name, hey? Uh, Man, every time. Uh, He says, this parable does not address the question of eternal security. It raises the question of inadequate and unproductive hearing. Churches should not be complicit in allowing people to think an initial response to Jesus' message, unaccompanied by productive living, is good soil. And this really brings to mind what James wrote to the church later on, saying, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and you walk away and you forget what you look like. And in John 15, Jesus says that those who remain in him will bear fruit. He says, I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. The key to all this language of obeying and producing fruit is that we don't do it in our own strength or in our own wisdom. We must remain in Jesus. It's again, never, never hear me say, do more, work harder. Hear me say, spend more time with Jesus. Because that's again, the bent that we always have is, okay, let me do more. Let me work harder. Let me be better. And you can't. That's why you're given the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because you do it with Jesus. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When the soil of our heart is hard or stony or filled with thorns, we'll have a hard time meeting with Jesus as regular as we we, we should be. And if we don't remain in Jesus, the true vine, we can't bear fruit. And so the parable message is for us to look at the condition of our hearts so we can be sure that we will grow into those who bear much fruit. And again, if I'm, I mean, again, let's just be fully honest. If I'm honest, I find my heart often slips into the thorny soil, caught up in the worries or the desires of this life. And if I'm not careful, these thorns could choke out my maturity or hinder me from producing fruit. For some of you, maybe you're like me and it's the desire for wealth and the worries of life are choking out your time with Jesus. Or maybe there's some stones in the soil, areas of obedience that you need to cultivate. With the help of the Holy Spirit, you want to do that, but you just haven't done it yet. And if you're maybe feeling pretty good about the condition of your soil in your heart, and that's valid. I'm not here to be like, you're all bad. Like, maybe you're like, boy, the soil in my heart is just great. I'm producing, and I'm like, great. That's the goal. That's, that's attainable. You, that's awesome. Just pray that you would continue to bear fruit, that you would continue to remain in Jesus, that you would keep your eyes fixed on the things of heaven and not the things of earth. I'm going to call the worship team up to close us in a song of worship, but I just want to invite you. The parables invite us to pray and to listen. And so this week, you can ask the Lord, how's the condition of my heart? Are there stony places where I need to submit and obey? 
Are there thorns of ungodly focus or desire that choke out my faith? Is there a hardness in me where I've rejected your voice and hardened my heart? This isn't meant to condemn you, but to open up the doorway to having good soil. I kind of think of it as like, as you do these diagnostic questions, as the Holy Spirit reveals these things to you, you can repent of them. You can say, Jesus, I give this over to you and I want to be made new. I want the soil of my heart to produce. I want it to be good soil. And he can do that transformative work in you. There's no condemnation in these words, but just an encouragement to keep looking to Jesus, keep pursuing him. Let your roots, roots grow down into him. As Paul writes, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And so that's really the call is to go, am I, am I building my life on the foundation that is Christ? Is the soil of my heart conducive to bearing spiritual fruit? Am I listening for the voice of Jesus? Is my mind and eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith? And if it's not, it's just a course correction. It's not a condemnation. It's a, oh, Jesus, let me, let me be who you created me anew in yourself to be. Let me pray for you and then we'll worship together. Lord Jesus, sometimes your words are convicting. But I pray that each one of us realize that when you convict our hearts, it's not because you want to condemn us or shame us but because you wanna give us abundant life, eternal life, life everlasting. So I ask Holy Spirit that you would reveal things that are in our lives that prevent us from seeing you clearly. I pray you'd reveal things in our lives that maybe are hindering the work of your Holy Spirit and that you would point those things out to us and have us repent and confess and move on. And so Lord Jesus, I pray that this wouldn't be a burden, but that this would be an invitation into abundant life. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.